Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take. Also on NFL salary cap and contract matters. This week, we're going to look at two things. Just a brief recap of the July 15th franchise tag long-term deal deadline. And also take a look at some contract extension candidates since in between the time when uh, front office people come back uh, to work after taking vacation, which is middle of July, and the start of the regular season, typically there are several high-profile contract extensions of players going into the final year of a contract. So the contract extension candidates are only going to deal with people in a contract year, so we're not going to be talking about Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, or any of the 2018 first-round picks who who are now eligible for extensions that have a fifth-year option in 2022. Now, there's seven guys who had unsigned franchise tags um, out of the 10 guys, I mean, hadn't signed long-term deals, I should say. Out of the 10 guys who were given franchise tags, only one, um, Taylor Moten, offensive tackle for the Carolina Panthers, signed a long-term deal. Um, to me, it's a five-year, $85 million contract. There's $43 million fully guaranteed. But it's been positioned as a four-year extension at $71.246 million. And practically every other case, I talk about new money which is the amount of money which is negotiated uh, outside of what you had remaining on your contract. I differentiate with franchise tag players because, one, franchise tag is considered a placeholder or precursor to a long-term deal. That's the original intent. doesn't necessarily work that way nowadays, but there is a finite deadline, July 15th, for you to sign a long-term deal. So whether you sign the tender or not, I'm looking at... If you sign a long-term deal, that deal in its totality. I don't do that for people who are in a contract extension because that negotiation is always over the new money and the new years. Last year, Derrick Henry's deal was reported $50 million over four years, although he had signed the tender. It was not reported as $39.722 million over three years. Just some consistency. $50 million over four. So if you look at Henry's at $50 million over four, Moten's 85 over 5. There's also, um, in his deal, he's got an escalator incentive where he gets an increase for being first team or second team all pro at left tackle. It's an incentive in, uh, let's say he earns, he plays left tackle in 2021 and, and gets the honor. It's a $1 million incentive in 2021, then a million dollars gets added to the 22 through 25 base salary. So it maxes out that weight. Uh, If he doesn't earn it in 21, then it would become in 22, he gets a million, then a million dollars gets added 
to the remaining base salary. So the sooner he gets, the more money he can make off of that. Um, his franchise tag number was $13.745 million. Um, now he's got a $15 million signing bonus in the deal. That's prorated over the life of the contract. Three, year pro, three years of proration. I mean, $3 million of proration each year. And a $1 million base salary in 2021. So that's going to make his 2021 cap number $4 million. That means from this deal, instead of having him count on the cap at $13.754 million, his franchise tender, the Panthers are picking up $9.754 million of cap room on the long-term deal. Now, there's, only, there's one other franchise tag situation which caught my eye. Uh, just Marcus May, because some of the things that were reported from Ian Rappaport of NFL Media uh, were a little surprising that the Jets at one time had offered him a long-term deal, roughly 20% less than his $10.612 million franchise tag. That'd be about $8.5 million per year. Now, that has no relation to the marketplace for above-average safeties or Pro Bowl caliber safeties. And if I'd been the agent... And I'd gotten that type of offer from the Jets. I'd have been offended. I would not have given them a counter offer. That would have been, you need to counter yourself, make a real offer. Make something which is in the realm of possibility. I understand you can have a low ball offer. That's just ridiculous to me. To me, that sends a signal you don't want the guy long term. Then you stick a franchise tag on him, so there's a disconnect there. To me, if you can't ever get to where John Johnson is who signed an who signed with the Browns at eleven and a half million per year, and I wouldn't even take that for May. Then we have nothing to talk about. He has no decision to even make. I get that Marcus May was a twenty-four year old rookie. He's twenty-eight right now, so he's a little bit older. We're gonna have a couple of safeties most likely sign lucrative contracts who will be older than May if he uh plays out this year on a franchise tag. He'll still in a position to get a long term deal. Um, next year if he plays well. But this would send a signal to me as the agent that the Jets have no interest in signing my player long-term. I would have been planning for my player accordingly to make this the best year possible, showcase yourself for teams, hope you don't get franchised a second time, and move on. This would not have been a positive step in trying to get something done in any any type of deal long-term unless the next offer was dramatically different in this reported $8.5 million per year offer in that range. Now, apparently, seems like things haven't gotten any better because the Jets didn't respond to the offer that the agent made, and the agent pulled the offer off the table. So um, I wouldn't anticipate Marcus May being a Jet more than this year. Now, let's turn our attention to uh, the contract extension candidates Um Last year, we saw between this time and the beginning of the regular season, some high-profile guys get extensions which are near or at the top of their markets. Jalen Ramsey set the cornerback market. Nick Bosa, I mean, Joey Bosa, I should say. Uh, Chargers, Joey Bosa became the highest-paid defensive player. Deshaun Watson became the second-highest-paid quarterback with the Texans. DeAndre Hopkins, highest-paid non-quarterback. With the Cardinals, we had three running backs sign lucrative deals. Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, 
and Joe Mixon. So first we're going to look at offense. Let's turn our attention to the running back position. The biggest guy out there is Nick Chubb um, for the Browns. Now, personally, I'm not a big proponent of paying running backs. Um, I would be disinclined to pay a running back, generally. He'd have to be an extremely special talent. (laughs) My inclination would be let the guy play on his rookie contract, franchise him twice, run him into the ground, find his replacement, go from there. Now, that being said, Nick Chubb has been highly productive as a running back in his three years. Since he's entered the NFL, he's third in rushing yards, only behind Derrick Henry, who's way ahead of everybody, Ezekiel Elliott, then Chubb. Chubb has 3,557 rushing yards, 44 games. Among players of 300 or more rushing attempts over the past three years, He's got the highest yards per carry for any running back, 5.23 yards per carry. That's second behind Lamar Jackson. So um, one thing is the Browns have a guy they can use as leverage against him. Curiously, Kareem Hunt last year signed a two-year $12 million extension worth up to $13.25 million through salary through escalators with a little over $8.5 million guarantees right before the start of the regular season. Um, even though Chubb's there. Now, he's run a rushing title, won the rushing title in 2017 as a rookie, and if he hadn't had the baggage because of physical altercation, um, he's probably still a chief. Um, had the eight-game personal conduct policy suspension during the 2019 season, um, but that's something that the Browns can use against. To me, the market's pretty well established. Because uh, last year, you had multiple backs sign in the 12 to $13 million range. So, that if you're going to sign Chubb to a long-term deal, that's where it probably should be. Yeah, Joe Mixon go there, uh, four years, $48 million extension. Um, yeah, Dalvin Cook last year. Um, get a deal, um, $63 million over five years, extension $63 million five years. Max is out $73 million, $70 million through salary escalators with a little over $28 million guarantees. Henry, $50 million over four years, $12.5 million per year. And yet Alvin Kamara signed for $75 million over five years with a little over $34 million guarantees. The $15 million per year average is misleading. Um, he's got $25 million in his 2025 contract year. He's never going to see that. So, really, it's 50 over 4. It's Derrick Henry's deal. The market's well established. So, if a deal's going to get done, that's where it should be. If Nick Chubb thinks he should be the highest paid running back and supplant uh, Christian McCaffrey, whose deal averages low over $16 million for a year, he's going to be playing on franchise tags. And the running back franchise tag's been dropping um, steadily since 2017. It's gone from 12.12 million in 2017, then it went to 11.866 million in 18, then 11.24, 11.214 million in 2019. Derrick Henry's 10.278, then the precipitous drop in the cap this year, 8.655 million. Now I'm assuming the cap's going to be 208.2 million, the salary cap ceiling. And that means that 
my projections have the running back number taken up 4.539% of the cap. So that put the number at 9.451 million. Um, if Nick Chubb thinks he should be the highest paid running back, we have nothing to really discuss. If you're going to be firmly entrenched that position, I got an adequate replacement for you. I may have the best running back tandem in the league. I'll franchise you and we can go from there. Now, um, he is the most logical candidate on the Browns to get a franchise tag. There is another guy on the Browns who is in a contract year that is an interesting case. And right guard Wyatt Teller. Teller, 2018 fifth-round pick, came out of nowhere last year. Earned second-team All-Pro honors. Um, missed five games last year. And there is a dramatic difference in terms of the effectiveness of Cleveland's running game in the games that he missed. Uh, that when he was on the field, 5.2 yards per carry. Without him, 3.6. <laughs> now, I would have some reservations about Teller because he kind of came out of nowhere. Is this the real Wyatt Teller or what we had before any other year is Wyatt Teller? You probably wouldn't put a franchise tag on him. Um, offensive line tag is lumped together all positions. It isn't position specific. So to me, my projections have it at 16.631 million if the cap is 208.2 million next year. That's a little high. One thing cutting in Cleveland's favor is anytime you got a guy um, who is a day three pick, and sometimes it applies to day two picks. Uh, coming off a rookie contract, they haven't made significant NFL money. They've made significant money by real-life standards for the average person, but that's not significant money in terms of NFL standards. Through his three years on his NFL contract, he has made a little over $2 million in three years. He's going to make more this year than other, on the previous three years. He's going to make $2.183 million. He's elevating. He earned the proven performance escalator under the collective bargaining agreement. So that's what he's making this year. But still, that can play into Cleveland's favor. Then I don't know how sensitive they're going to be to uh, Joel Batonio, who will be in a contract year in 2022. Their left guard, he'll be 31, heading into the 2022 season. I'd probably be, if I'm the Browns, I want to pay White Teller more in the Andrus Pete range. That's $57 million, $57.5 million, five-year extension, $11.5 million average. He is the fourth highest paid guard by average yearly salary. Joe Tooney, I should say. Um, reset the market at $60 million per year of in free agency signs with the Chiefs. 46, a little over $46 million, just under $47 million, I should say, in, in guarantees in the deal. And what we've seen that... If you let a very good guard get to free agency, historically, they in recent years, they've been resetting the market. And we've got a couple of examples of that. That when Coletio uh, Assembly became a free agent, set the market. Same with Kevin Zeitler, same for Andrew Norwell, now Tooney. So there's a possibility that you don't get something done with Wyatt Teller. Then he walks out the door. He's getting Joe Tooney money, but I'd want to keep him around Andrews Pete if I could, if I'm the team. Obviously, if I'm Tooney, I'm having my sights set on, um, if I'm, if I'm Wyatt Teller, I'm having my sights set on Joe Tooney money. Now, 
the average of the top five highest paid guards, their deals collectively have $322.05 million from 24 new years or actual years, depending upon whether it's an extension or not. So the average deal is 4.8 years, basically five-year deal. And these deals average $13,478,750. So maybe 13.5, five-year extension, 13.5 million per year would be a compromise. Well, we'll see if that gets something done or they do. There's one ride receiver to keep an eye on, and that is Devontae Adams. Um, he's The interesting thing is his <laughs> what he wants to do uh, may be intertwined with um, Aaron Rodgers because he went on the record saying that the whole Adams situation, I mean the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, will affect what he does. So um, he's got a great case to be the highest paid receiver um, in the NFL. And the reason I say that is 2020, first-team All-Pro, caught 115 um, passes, pack a record, 1,374 receiving yards, led the NFL with 18 um, touchdown um, receptions, also tied a Green Bay Packer single-season record, led the NFL with 98.1 receiving yards per game. Um, but he's been probably the most consistent receiver over the past three years. Ranks third in the NFL, 309 receptions, fourth in receiving yards, 3,757, and his 36 touchdown catches are tops. He's the only player to place among the top five in all these categories in, in over the past three years, 2018 through 2020. Highest paid receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, $27.25 million per year. So uh, if I'm him, I want to top that, and we know that with Green Bay deals, the only guaranteed money is going to be your signing bonus, unless your name is Aaron Rodgers, because they don't do traditional salary guarantees. So, same thing applies to the Steelers and also the Bengals, only three teams who have very vanilla structures. They have these uh, roster bonuses in second and third year, sometimes fourth year of the contract to substitute as guarantees, which aren't true guarantees. So, you probably have to set a record for signing bonus um, for wide receiver in a deal for... Devontae Adams. That record is currently $27.5 million by DeAndre Hopkins, but I'd keep an eye on that one. Um, the two tight ends, um, Mark Andrews for the Ravens, who made the Pro Bowl in 2019, his second year, and also Dallas Goddard of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Now, their market was given a big boost by John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, exceeding everybody's expectations by signing deals averaging $2.5 million per year. Smith, $50 million over four years for a record for a tight end, veteran tight end, $31.25 million fully guaranteed at signing. Henry, um, $37.5 million over three years, $25 million fully guaranteed. Um, $25 million 20, fully guaranteed at signing, $27 million in overall guarantee. So, think these two guys are better than those guys um so that should be their floor 12 and a half million per year i doubt you can get above travis kelsey uh kelsey signed a very team-friendly extension also um one of those guys who got one um during this time period last year so did george kittle as well um kittle became the highest paid tight end at 15 million per year last august 
Kelsey 14 averages 14,312,500 per year. So I if they're going to get deals done with um, Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia or Mark Andrews in Baltimore, they'll be probably in between that range, 2.5 million per year and the Travis Kelsey deal. Now, if you don't get something done for either one of those two, the franchise tag at 208.2 million to be 10. Nine three six million and Goddard. There's one interesting wrinkle that right now Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. Everyone assumed he would be traded. Now, let's say Zach Ertz for some reason isn't traded. Philadelphia keeps him. One, he's going to be extremely unhappy. Um, I would imagine. And if you do a deal with Goddard. I don't know how that works if Zach Ertz is on the roster. <laughs> so the easiest thing to do, and it's a deal everyone thought would have been done by now, is if you're going to pay Dallas Goddard, trade Zach Ertz. Now, <laughs> if they're both on the roster, let's say Ertz has a bounce back year from the ankle injury that um, required surgery. And he looks like Zach Ertz, where last year people were calling him, the third best tight end in football. And some people would make a case that he was in the same category as Kelsey and um, Kittle. So if you got that guy, Goddard's not putting up numbers <laughs> and you got a problem either way, if you do a deal with him or not, then if he's the guy in that situation, I know he's much younger then you've just showcased Zach Ertz to, uh, Go sign a lucrative deal next year, next someplace else next year. And if Goddard can't beat out Ertz, you got to wonder about, is he really that good? At least I would, um, because he's supposed to be the guy of your future. But you've also, having him around probably doesn't make him feel any better about staying in Philadelphia anyway. So it's a can of worms. It probably needs to be resolved by Zach Ertz not being on the roster. The recent Ryan Ramsick deal, um, which made him the highest paid uh, right tackle at $19.2 million per year, kind of showed you where the Saints' priorities were. Um, Their left tackle, Taron Armstead, also in a contract year. That clause that Moten has about getting a salary increase for left tackle is also in Ramsek's contract. I don't know if that means that they're going to let Armstead go because they also potentially have other people um, to pay on the uh, offensive line. Um, And in particular, uh, that would be center um, Eric McCoy, who's not eligible for a contract extension until um, next year. He's 2019 um, second-round pick. But that being said, if you're going to get something done of Armstead, uh, presumably you're going to have to make him the highest paid offensive lineman in football. And I don't know if the Saints are comfortable setting the market at both tackle positions. Um, right now that's Trent Williams at $23.01 million per year. There's a three-year age gap between the two. Saints have a couple of franchise tag candidates for next year. Would you put a second one on Marcus Williams? Or would it go to your cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore, who's playing under a fifth-year option? But um, he had an arrest, um, I think, back in the spring um, on a gun charge. Uh, that possession of 
he's suspected of being in possession of a stolen handgun. Uh, so that may have put his extension on the back burner, but you got three potential candidates for a franchise tag. If Armstead doesn't sign the extension, gets the open market, I suspect that he could be the first $25 million per year um, offensive lineman. It'll be interesting to see if they do something with Lattimore sooner rather than later. They have a gaping hole at cornerback. Uh, Because of the uh, cap dropping so much and them having to shed $110 million of cap commitments just to be compliant, and that's not even getting to the fact they're able to find almost $11 million to franchise Marcus Williams. Janoris Jenkins um, was lost. They don't have any established cornerbacks besides Lattimore, so I would think he might be the franchise tag guy, if push comes to shove, and they don't have another extension. They can't do one for Williams because he's a franchise player this year, so you're prohibited until the end of the regular season. So, earliest you could do one is January 10th with him or any other franchise player. So, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Now, the right tackle market, uh, Chris Ballard, and, it, and he said this more in relation to free agency than anything else, that he don't want to pay B players A-plus money. Well, be curious to see if he thinks a Braden Smith, his right tackle, is a B player. And if so, he's not going to pay him A-plus money, which would be in that upper echelon. Moten's at 17, Ramsick's at 19-2. He should slide in someplace in between those two if you're going to get a deal done. I'm sure Chris Ballard was not thinking that neighborhood before Ryan Ramsick, just like I'm sure the Panthers weren't thinking they're going to be paying Taylor Moten $17 million per year before Ryan Ramsick, but that's the reality of the situation now. They, this Colts have earmarked money for two players, supposedly. Smith and also linebacker um, Darius Leonard. Bobby Wagner is the highest paid off-ball linebacker, $54 million over three years, an extension he did two years ago. It's just a matter of time before that falls. The question is... Can Leonard or 49ers linebacker Fred Warner get to the guarantee marks of C.J. Mosley? $51 million overall guarantees, 43 fully guaranteed. I suspect both those guys go above Wagner, and whichever guy signs last will be the highest paid. I'm not sure what the right number is, but I wouldn't be surprised if both over $19 million per year, if not they may be the rare off-ball linebackers. You get franchised, that number at $208.2 million projects to $18.788 million. The last off-ball linebacker to get franchised was David Harris by the Jets in 2011. Now, speaking of linebackers, who's really an edge rusher, um, since Pittsburgh plays a 3-4 defense, T.J. Watt technically is a line a linebacker. In a 4-3 defense, he'd be a defensive end. Watt should become the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. He's on his fifth-year option. As I said, Pittsburgh does these vanilla deals, so he's not going to have the type of guarantees in Joey Bosa's deal. Bosa has $102 million in overall guarantees, 78 fully guaranteed in signing, but he should blow past that $27 million per year mark. Question is, I don't think he gets $30 million per year, but he should be closer to $30 million than $27 million. Um, you may have to set a record for signing bonus for non-quarterbacks. Right now, that's $40 million by Aaron Donald because the guarantees won't be anything remotely close to Bosa's. But 
this deal should be north of $28.5 million per year. Staying along, moving to the interior of the defensive line, um, the Washington football team's Jonathan Allen is in a contract year. That's the strength of the Redskins, not the Red. excuse me, the Washington football team's team is the um, defensive line um, with the edge rushers, Chase Young, number two overall pick last year, Montez Sweat, and then you got Deron Payne also inside. You're not going to be able to keep all those guys long-term. You're not paying a quarterback significant money, so that may bode well in keeping more of those guys than letting them go. Allen, it expressed the the things were moving in the right direction, an extension for him. They get, didn't get something done or Brandon Sheriff on a second franchise tag. You won't franchise him a third time. It's going to be too cost prohibitive. Allen is someone that I don't. You don't pay him in that elite over twenty million dollar per year category because he doesn't get to the quarterback the way those guys do. He's coming off a two sack season, but that isn't really indicative of his pass rush um, ability. He had a seventeen percent pass rush win rate by, according to Pro Football Focus, that was eighth among interior defensive linemen. Um, so. He's getting pressure, but not quite the sacks. Had 47 quarterback uh, pressures. I was 11th among interior defensive linemen. I would suspect he's looking at that. Kenny Clark, 17.5 million per year. Grady Jarrett, 17 million per year. Eric Armstead, 17 million per year. Who plays on the outside for San Francisco in their base defense and kicks inside and everybody's healthy uh, to the interior. And Armstead had that 10-sack season in his fifth-year option in 2019. When you brought in Nick Bosa, you had to force Buckner around. Buckner's in Indianapolis. Bosa tore his ACL early in the 2020 season. Production plummeted for Armstead. So that's a concern about Allen. He's surrounded by great talent. Is he a product of all the talent on the line or just himself. But either way, I think if you get a deal done, that's probably going to be um, um, the market that you're, you're talking about. Now, if you're looking at a franchise tag for Jonathan Allen next year, I'm projecting it to $19.954 million at the um, defensive tackle number. So that's going to take a, a dramatic jump. <laughs> That's kind of, he kind of has that in his back pocket. We've got some interesting safeties. Um, that market's going to move. Jamal Adams just wants to fundamentally, re- fund- fundamentally reset the position. Doesn't want to be paid like a safety. Calls himself a defensive playmaker or defensive weapon. Set the NFL record for sacks last year for a defensive back, nine and a half in 12 games. Um, highest paid safety is Justin Simmons at $15.25 million per year by the Broncos. Was franchised for a second time this year. Got that deal done in March. He wants to just blow the safety market out of the water. Um, I don't think he gets above Bobby Wagner's $18 million per year in Seattle. I think there's some sensitivity about someone else being the highest paid player, defensive player on that team. Um, Teron Matthew. Uh, is in a contract year as well. He expressed some optimism of an extension. He was made highest paid 
safety in free agency two years ago, $14 million per year, along with Landon Collins, to go to Kansas City on his three-year deal. He's gone to two Pro Bowls, I mean, been named All-Pro two years since then. Franchise tag next year won't happen, $23.63 million. He's got the highest cap number for safety right now at $19,733,334. If you get a deal done with him, I suspect if he's not the highest paid guy, Eclipsing Simmons, it's at least $15 million per year. It slots in between Buda Baker, who's number two at $14.75 million. But um, he's 29. Um, this will be his last big deal. Then you got um, Harrison Smith. Vikings played really well last year. Didn't go to the Pro Bowl. Final year of a five-year extension he signed in 2016, averaging $10.25 million per year. One of two safeties with at least 80 tackles and five interceptions, five more interceptions last year. Um, Justin Simmons was the other. When he was the nearest defender in passes thrown his way, passer rating of 39.8 million. 32 years old, though. So I can see why the Vikings would have some reluctance. He wants to retire as a Viking. Since he's already had one big deal, does he give them a little bit of a break? Because he wants to stay there, doesn't want to go through the whole free agency thing. The Vikings should have a little bit of concern because of his age, even though he's still playing at a very high level. Uh, I don't know. He, I don't see him getting to the Simmons mark, but you've had six safeties signed for $14 million per year since free agency started in 2019, and you had Earl Thomas... Um, signed for $13.5 million. We'll see what, see what, if any, type of discount that Smith is willing to give the Vikings if they sign him to an extension. Um, it always seems like it's going to be a choice between Smith and Anthony Harris that they franchised last year that they didn't re-sign, who's now a Philadelphia Eagle playing on a one-year deal. And then Jesse Bates for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are typically proactive in terms of trying to keep their core players. He wants to stay in Cincinnati. He's expressed that he would like to stay there. Um, he's young. He's 24 years old. If I'm him, even if I can get a deal done, I kind of slow play it a little bit because I want to see what happens in Kansas City and also Seattle if they get something done before Labor Day. And then I want to factor those deals into the equation. But... He's going to, if you get a deal done with him, it's probably going to be north of $14 million per year. And it's going to be very light on guarantees. So um, that's it for this week's Inside the Cap. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my CBSSports.com column, Agents Take. And we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.